This is Know It All, the ABCs of Education, a platform of Allison Brown Consulting, ABC, where we empower our listeners with insightful information about equity in education. Welcome to Know It All, the ABCs of Education. Listen in every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Eastern or any time from your computer at blogtalkradio.com forward slash knowitall. I am your host, Allison R. Brown of Allison Brown Consulting, ABC. I am a civil rights attorney with a focus on equity in public education. Keep up with me on my website at allisonbrownconsulting.com and be sure to follow Know It All at blogtalkradio.com. If you're tweeting, follow me and Allison R. Brown and tweet about the show with the hashtag KnowItAllABC. Today I am so thrilled to welcome Michelle Stevenson and Joe Brewster, the husband and wife team who have created the critically acclaimed American Promise documentary. Good morning to you both. Thank you so much for being on Know It All today. How are you? Thank you. We're very happy to be here. So first, Michelle, will you just introduce the movie? Tell us what it's about. The movie uh, American Promise is a coming-of-age story that follows the educational journeys of two African-American boys, Idris and Shayon, from kindergarten to graduation from high school. So it's a longitudinal documentary film. But in addition to that, it's really a personal lens on uh, parenting, um, on what it takes to really uh, get our boys um, to um, to graduation. And uh, the reason why I say it's a personal film is because Joe and I, in addition to being a husband and wife filmmaking team, we turn the camera on our family uh, as well as on our son and his and our son and his best friend and his family. So it's really an intimate look into the sacrifices, challenges, joys of um, that this educational journey uh, and experience. Uh, provides us. So I want to play a clip. Um, this is the trailer for the movie American Promise. Let's listen. Why? I hate school. Bad, hard. The problem is, 
The film opens November 1st in Washington, D.C., where I am, and I am so looking forward to it. I have seen the trailer. I've watched the several clips that you have available on your website at AmericanPromise.org. I am mom to a black boy. My husband and I are raising a son who is now 10 years old, and um, many of the clips that I saw uh, really resonate with our own experience, and you can hear the voices of Idris and Shayun really kind of uh, evolving. Uh, you hear them growing into men, and, and um, their awareness seems to be evolving as well. Joe, will you talk about why you decided to do this film? Well, we we started the film, uh, as we say, as uh, celebrating diversity. Our son had been accepted to this rigorous uh, independent school in Manhattan, and uh, we thought it would be a great opportunity to point out the uh, advantages of, of schooling in that environment. What, what we discovered over time is that it was a lot more complicated than we had anticipated, that diversity was not enough, and that our son uh, at times struggled with issues of identity, uh, um, implicit bias, uh, stereotype threat, issues that, you know, are commonplace, but, but we weren't as prepared as we would have wanted to be. Um, so a, a number of people um, uh, see the film, and I, I wanted to, to point out there's, a, there's another special thing about seeing the film. When you see this film with your friends, it tends to open the conversation. It tends to free parents uh, in a way that allows them to discuss issues which which may have been uh, embarrassing or uh, issues that are associated with uh, some degree of shame. Because ultimately it's, it's not just about the boys. It, the film actually becomes a film about how we as parents uh, try to shepherd and protect and uh, grow our, our children into our boys into healthy adults. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the what I've seen on the website, the AmericanPromise.org website, is opportunity is the first step. So Dalton made a, a, a great showing of opening its doors to uh, historically underrepresented populations of students, and we see this in different areas. We see this in employment where, um, you know, we might, it, in history, we've seen doors opening to um, black people in the military and in the public sector and private sector. Uh, we see this in education. We see this in housing. Um, but opportunity is only the first step. What does that mean to you, Michelle? Well, I think uh, we have to look at um, the question. In this case, this is a new civil rights question of our time in that um, opportunities provide this um, this uh, uh, ability to take a certain step where before there were clear barriers. But the question then lies, and once you um, experience that potential, there are many things in the undercurrent that deal with race and assumptions 
um, that we all internalize around expectations for these boys, uh, both in terms of the parents, the educators, and the boys themselves. And the real question is, these uh, uh, assumptions are what many experts have uh, titled as uh, implicit bias, which is really, even with the best of intentions, there are certain negative consequences to our actions um, um, that uh, have a racial lens that we really need to be able to engage in so that opportunity doesn't become something that is lost or missed. Um, and I think this is where we are at in terms of uh, looking at how do we bring these uh, unintended consequences to the conscious so that we can all have a, a, a constructive uh, a role. And I feel like our black boys are really the canary in the coal mine. They're at the, they're at the uh, uh, forefront of how negatively implicit bias can have an impact, um, whether it's around the uh, uh, unconscious low expectations about what they're capable of academically, whether it has to do with them walking in the street and being stopped, um, um, that definitely has a consequence in the classroom and at home, whether it has to do with the talks that we have to have with them about preparing them. How do you keep them healthy while making them also conscious of the implicit bias that they have to face through their lives? And I well, think yeah. we've been dealing with that at multiple levels. There's a quick part about this implicit bias. And, uh, and, uh, and African-American parents need to take note of it. Uh, we as boys are the recipient of, of these negative stereotypes. But there are times when we as uh, African-American parents are subject to those biases uh, also. Uh, we have to be able to demand more from our, from our boys. We have to be able to... Uh, have higher expectations. Uh, there, there are many times when, when parents have preferred, are are inclined to protect their their sons from AP courses or or, or more uh, rigorous expectations from homework. Uh, that that is uh, something we have to be aware of uh, as well. But I would say even more than that, we need to be aware of these unconscious, uh, of these consequences, and we have to be um, able to uh, uh, challenge, challenge our our uh, teachers, become advocates for our boys um, at all these different levels. It's uh, uh, it is. Um, I don't want to say that it's. Uh, we have to basically take on the role of advocates to kind of minimize what these consequences uh, 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 provide. Sure. Um, so, you know, I, I think... I, I don't mean to say these these two trains of thought are mutually exclusive. I am saying that the boys are being assaulted from uh, implicit bias on, on all sides. And let me give you an example. Uh, these boys are the least hugged, most criticized uh, uh, subgroup in the American landscape population, be it from uh, white teachers, black teachers, or uh, African-American parents. And so it's, 
it's really important to remind yourself, uh, in particular, uh, with African and their voice, uh, a hug uh, a couple of times a day and some positive reinforcement will go a long way for uh, towards improving their their confidence and their ability to go out and 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 deal with this uh bias struggle. Mhm. And you know, I think um one of the the common one of the many common or one of the many threads that is um that undergirds the film is of evolution and the boys um are growing from uh is it 5 years old until they graduate from high school. And so it's a 13-year journey for them. So, you know, naturally there will be evolution, and I think in that, I, I'm certainly in the law as a lawyer, um, talk all the time about how civil rights law has not evolved to, as you have said, Michelle, really address implicit bias, and Dr. Philip Goff has done some really important work around implicit bias in police um, and implicit bias in just the regular public, and, and um, the law has not grown beyond, uh, you know, the the really intentional hostility that was uh prevalent in the the 40s and 50s that 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 framed the 1964 Civil Rights Act. So um you're right that in the meantime, you know, as we struggle to to make sure that our laws and policies meet the needs of our society and of our boys, in the meantime our boys have to be that old adage they have to be 10 times better than uh, than their peers, and, and as parents, we certainly have that obligation, and we have to do that as advocates for them. Um, you know, there is a, a clip in the film where uh, I think it's when they were 12 years old, um, Idris was encountering some difficulty, and there was some suggestion of medication. Um, did you ever find it difficult to to advocate? Were you hesitating? Did you want to believe the 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 recommendation for medication. What was what was the internal struggle for you as parents? Um, uh, Joe, you want to take that as a as a physician, and I'll I'll piggyback on, well, you on know, what you say. We we were obviously aware. Um, or, or felt that as an African-American boy, he was more inclined um, to be offered medication. Um, and we, instead of accepting that medication, uh, and I think to his benefit, we tried every other vehicle for addressing what became clear to us that our, that our son uh, suffered with ADD. So we tried improving his focus. We tried putting him in a in a carol in an environment with minimal distraction. We provided the best study environment. Uh, we removed uh, the electronics, but was not enough. And as we researched further, we discovered an interesting tidbit: is that uh, although African American boys probably have the same degree of uh, prevalence of uh, ADD. They are many uh, times like, less likely to accept the treatment. And and that's un- unfortunate, be it medication or 
non-pharmaceutical intervention. So we accepted that medication after many years uh, and trial and error with other methods. Uh, I think he benefited by our waiting, uh, but ultimately medication is not enough. Can I just I just want to add something to that. I think that uh, what this uh 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 this example you bring up in some ways is uh um a clear a, a clear description of the unintended negative consequences of best intentions. So I talk from a personal perspective in terms for me I I reacted very negatively to the not diag- to what they were implying at the school. And uh, it has to do with the interactions of the assumptions that I that I held about about uh, our community being overdiagnosed and being pigeonholed versus they're trying to address what they see as an issue, but not necessarily having that racial lens uh, to inform them of how to deliver that message and what the consequences would be if he's pigeonholed that way, whether he suffers from that that uh, uh, um, that diagnosis or not. In some ways, it has to be a, a, about a dialogue where you keep the child whole and, and understand that there are consequences to pigeonholing somebody who's already a minority in, in a certain environment and how others will judge him and how he will perceive himself and have confidence about his own capabilities. And that's where I think the intersection of this issue of implicit bias plays out and where it can have multiple effects on us as parents and being uh, uh, anxious about uh, 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 about how this plays out for our son, our son having doubts about his capacity when the teacher tries to pull him aside and put him in another room regarding ADD, where he's not only singled out as an African-American male, but in addition with, with the need of assistance. Um, and so those all factors have a racial lens that we need to be able to discuss and figure out you know, uh, so that there's not then the beginning of a racial achievement gap in education that happens, and that we have to we have to uh, correct for you know over the years. Mm-hmm. Tell us about Dalton, Joe. Why why was uh, Dalton in particular um, so attractive to you as an option for your son? Well, you know, we know the numbers. You know the. The, the better the education, the more options he, he's going to have for the rest of his life. And uh, and we understand what an institution like that uh, can do in terms of educational preparedness. You know, the, uh, those kids basically, the bottom 25% of the class are scoring uh, several hundred points above uh the comedian uh, for New York City Public School. So we we thought it would be a good place for him to uh, develop uh, a top-level uh, education, writing skills, mathematical skills, that would serve him well. Uh, unfortunately, uh, the academic preparedness uh, must go hand in hand with the social emotional preparedness. And mm-hmm. although Dalton is quite aware of that, uh, you know, some of the things that we're talking about are very difficult to discuss. 
and not going to happen in a PTA meeting. It, it usually occurs one-to-one or small group environment, and that is difficult to develop uh, as a minority in that environment. We don't live in the neighborhood. We don't have the same affinity groups. So, so uh, we found it it hard uh, to develop a kind of intimate relationship to talk about the the difficult issues uh, that were ultimately going to protect uh, uh, and promote our son's social emotional development. Mm-hmm. Yes, I mean, just to add something, I want to say, yes, essentially, you know, we all realize that it's relationships and getting to know people that break down stereotypes and assumptions that really allow us. As we know each other more, uh, we can't resort to the stereotypes that are out there to understand each other. And I think that is really the next step in terms of a, 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 of adults and providing the opportunity and us really being able to protect the socio-emotional health of our sons. I do want to say one additional thing that has to do with why we picked Dalton. Um, you know, uh, we saw, as our personal experience, Joe and I, what education could provide us in terms of being eight upward mobility. We came from more modest backgrounds. Education provided us an open doors for us. Um, but this middle-class status on a big-picture level is something that's very fragile. It's only, you know, two generations, one generation. So we're fighting to, make, to, to keep that middle-class status stable. And for us, education is a ticket. And that's what we try to instill in our in our sons. I'm talking about just in terms of the bigger, you know, uh, uh, economic uh, uh, dynamic that's happening. For us, um, that's some of what has driven us to really uh, 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 help our sons understand that, you know, this is a fragile thing that in order to be able to maintain it, uh, uh, we all have to work hard, and it's educa- through education that we'll be able to create that greater stability over generations. Right. Uh, and there, there's the, another There's another clip in the movie where um, Shan's mother talks about her own discomfort with um, the typical Dalton population of parents. So that, you know, there certainly is a cultural disconnect um, as, as one of the, the um, guests on, in the film said, there's a cultural disconnect between private schools and African-American boys. But then what about the, the disconnect between the private schools and black parents um, and, and having to, you know, the burden, she said, she, Shayan's mom said she wanted her son to be comfortable with white people and, and more comfortable than she herself is or was at that point in time. Um, but what about making sure that white folks are comfortable with us and with black boys in particular? Um, the burden seems to be on on black parents to work to fit in, um, rather than kind of the the other way around. What do you think about that, Michelle? Um, yes, uh, I think again this is related to. Um, the fact that opportunity is just the first step or the fact that numbers, having the numbers is just the first step where there's a critical mass. The, the next level of engagement and, uh, and of embracing diversity in a way that's constructive for everybody and not just token, uh, a token gesture is being able to make the parents 
equally comfortable as their as their as their child is because if the parent is not comfortable, it will trickle down to the child as well, and mm-hmm. that requires some difficult conversations. Don't you agree, Joe? Um, absolutely. I I, I tend to be a uh, a little cynical early on, and I, I agree that our comfort level uh, allows us to develop the relationships that we need uh, to have our son thrive in that environment. But there, there are other ways. And um, one of the things that we've been recommending around the country is the development of what we call promise club. That means uh, as a concept really comes from the what's also the Excelsior Clubs uh, in Washington and Virginia, where parents come together in small groups, and they uh, meet on a bi-monthly basis uh, in groups of less than 10. And this has a, a profound effect on, on uh, these kids' social-emotional development, as well as the apparent ability to... To, to work and thrive in that sometimes alien environment. And so it's the, it's the point I'm trying to make is we don't have a generation to correct the environment for our kids, uh, uh, create an environment for our kids to thrive back and connect. Uh, and so what we have to do is uh, not wait on white folks, not and, in fact, as Michelle, we have to be in the classroom uh, four or five times a year uh, talking with teachers and administrators, uh, whether we're called or asked to speak to them, uh, whether or not. Uh, we have to meet with other parents in a small environment and talk about issues like race and grades, AP courses, whether or not our kid fits uh, in emotionally with or having uh, problems with uh, the other teachers, and, and by doing this and doing the work that we can, uh, that we need to do at home, uh, these kids will thrive uh, despite uh, the obstacles. Yeah, I think what I think what Joe mentioned in terms of the Promise Clubs is really key in terms of um, of of being a the first the first step of feeling comfortable is really I think being able to create a support network uh, uh, among parents who are equally situated um, where they can share experience, mentor each other, and uh, uh, share information that can then that can then provide a better sense of comfort in, in the larger environment or, or a sense of, 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 of uh, agency in the larger environment. And I think those intimate and close uh, exchanges are really important. And uh, um, some of that is actually shown in the film as well in terms of conversations we have with other African-American parents that allow us to kind of unpack our experience and, you know, engage further and, and, and understand. It's really key. Really key. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you know what? Our son uh, began to participate in affinity groups from other schools around the city. It was a great help to him. Um, and 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 that is uh, one of the one of the factors which allows him to to stay there and uh, uh, you know ultimately drive. That in addition to the fact that in the high school the numbers of uh, 
uh, black and Latino students uh, double or triple. Mm -hmm. Joe, you mentioned um, identity and that your son and uh, Xi'an were both struggling with their own identity and um, you know, there's a. We heard your voice saying that you know we're we're dealing with these educators who are saying our son is hard to manage, but they don't know him, um, and he was was really just getting to know himself. And there's an I think a really important um, clip where you have a discussion with the boys about what what a hoodlum is and what a hoodlum looks like, and as they're they're grappling with that stereotype being imposed on themselves, um, it. it the conversation is is very very interesting. Um, will you talk about this you know this notion of identity and how you really help to guide Idris through you know developing his own identity rather than living up or down to the identity that had been created for him? Well, you know uh, it gets more complicated because identity is not static. You know, in mm -hmm. one environment, he's the rich kid. And another environment, he's a poor kid. And another uh, environment, uh, he's, uh, he's uh, extremely educated. One environment, he perceives him as a good athlete or a weak athlete. So what we had to do is a complicated job of teaching him that identity changes and that he has multiple identities. He's the son of a physician. That he uh, he has a, a cultural roots in Haiti and in Panama, and and that really involves patience and and and, uh, and a willingness to accept that he belongs in a number of places and maybe doesn't belong in, in a number of places. So that that that's hard because all of us want to belong. And once we say that I'm a member of this environment, this this upper middle class, uh, quote unquote, elite environment, uh, what does that do for him when he's in another environment? So, so he talks uh, at length, and some of this is not in the film about being about the duality of his existence, and. Uh, about being uh, having multiple colors, and he comes to terms with that later on. And so, it's sort of like being culturally proficient in a number of cultures, or learning a language, two or three languages. It may take you longer to speak, but ultimately, you're better off. Okay. Uh, and so teaching that kind of patience is difficult when he really wants protection. He wants to know why the kids are, are chasing him home because his book bag is so big. And he wants to know why people are laughing at him because uh, uh, he talks like a white boy. Uh, so we, it's, a, it's a hard job, and we chose not to do it by telling him that he belongs in one area. We, our goal was to help him become a, a citizen of a world, the world, and, and develop uh, multiple, multiple cultural affinity. Mm -hmm. And for for 
um, moms and dads who are raising black boys, Michelle, what what would you say to them that they should know about fighting for their boys um, so that they're this world that still hasn't fully accepted them as loving, cuddly, sweet, glowing boys, um, how do they fight against that current that is pushing against black black men and boys without scarring their kids, without um, doing more damage than um, than not? Wow, that's a big question. It's multi-layered and multi, you know multi-faceted uh, uh, answer. Um, I think I think for me personally. Um, I think I try to always start from the personal, from the intimate, from what I can do as an individual that can impact my son's relationship. And uh, and I've learned that along the way, made mistakes with interest that I've corrected, um, that I've tried to correct. But I think um, one is, you know, always keeping that dialogue open with, with him, but also really investing in the relationships with the other uh, adults in his life that have an impact on his own sense of self. And that means the teachers, the educators, whatever their assumptions are about me or my son, they know that I that I will be there to you know, to protect him and to uh uh challenge them. And I think it kind of really starts there, um uh for me. And I think everything kind of ripples from, from that. And to be aware of the microaggressions and and and, and address them on the spot, because I think if we can be transparent and open in in the discussion without being necessarily um, uh, uh, confrontational, um, we can pierce through some of these assumptions. Uh, I would like to add one thing is that that uh, which makes uh, parents and and uh, rigorous private schools are a little more susceptible because they tend to be uh, socioeconomically at a at a uh, at a higher level. Those parents are particularly susceptible. Those kids are particularly susceptible, and they tend to be a larger gap between them and their socioeconomic peers. Saying that in another way, uh, a poor uh, African American boy and a poor uh, Caucasian boy tend to, tend to score similarly. The gap goes wider between the boys if they go up the socioeconomic uh, level because we as African American parents feel that we've arrived, but we haven't. We feel that we can protect them uh, from uh, implicit bias. But the only way you can protect them uh, is with more insight, more investigation, uh, and uh, being open to to change. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's what we've observed. And that is one of the reasons uh, when he arrived there, we, we felt that many of the parents were unable to speak to these issues that we were addressing. Most of those parents, their kids, are. and parents came in later uh, from uh, the prep for prep program. Uh, those parents were much more receptive 
to what we've all learned uh, over time, that parenting is difficult and we make a lot of mistakes. And the more help that we get uh, addressing these day-to-day issues, the better we do and the better our kids. Um, Joe, you mentioned earlier, I wonder if you would just say a brief word about um, stereotype threat, and this is uh, a, a theory that's been developed by Dr. Claude Steele and others um, and and really deals with test performance anxiety for, um, you know, minority children. Will you will you just briefly touch on that? Yeah, we're we're sitting here uh in a coffee shop in at NYU and so there's another major player, his name is Joshua Aronson. Uh he works mm-hmm. with Dr. And what they basically discovered is that when you make uh a black child aware of race uh when they take, for example, the SAT uh, and aware of the stereotypes uh, associated with race, like poor performance, uh, those test scores, based on that anxiety alone, tend to drop uh, 100 to 200 points. And it's it's so significant that uh, a lawsuit was filed in an attempt to have the uh, the college board remove the mention of race uh, before the test was taken. Now, that, that happens uh, on a daily basis in classrooms, uh, in, co- uh, in employment exams, and, and it's, it's based on... Uh, a, a primordial need, uh, the need to belong and, and the fear of not belonging. Or, and so what? one of the interventions that uh, Dr. Aronson talks about uh, is uh, to encourage your children to think about uh, on the long term, uh, to be less uh, focused on the, the the immediate outcome of taking a test, uh, and, and what 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 happens when they intervene in classrooms and begin to teach this kind of philosophy, uh, that gap in test scores drops dramatically. There's been a what a half point increase in in. Uh, and, and GPAs where they've gone in and intervened and, and taught these young boys to think like uh, uh, turtles rather than rabbits, think like that their life is about a long-term race rather than what you're going to do on a particular semester or a particular test. I think uh, stereotype threat is another perfect example in terms of uh, uh, another perfect example of how our civil rights struggle uh, has changed and become uh, uh, an experience from the un- of the unconscious. And it also really tells us about how we've all internalized these stereotypes. And depending on what is projected on us, we sometimes will execute those expectations. And that's what we have to combat. 
So uh, an African-American boy who's presented with a test and told to pick what his identity is, he then internalizes uh, what those assumptions are and expectations are uh, about him that he's absorbed through the culture and, and, and regurgitates that. And uh, they've done clear tests, you know, where they're not—they're given the same test and and not and asked not to identify their race, and uh, do tend, you know, uh, much much better on on the tests. So these are arenas that we really kind of need to explore in terms of understanding how the achievement gap is working and how that's connected to how uh, uh, we uh, the structure and systemic. Uh, things we have in place and the consequences of those. So let me just say one thing for the listening audience. It's not an internalization of the of the stereotype. It's the fear. It's the fear that you will you will uh, we will represent that stereotype, which causes uh, you to perform less well. It's the anxiety associated with you know being. Uh, the stupid black guy uh, that that takes you away from your task at hand, which is. But what's, and what's interesting, and what's interesting also that this doesn't just apply to African American boys. You know, assumptions about white males would, uh, 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 also have their consequences, or it, it also uh, happens with gender as well, and women and expectations about them and how well they can execute. You know, uh, science and math tests. So it kind of runs across in terms of how race plays out for us in our, all our expectations around academic performance. So, Michelle, I'm wondering if in the last um, couple of minutes that we have, if you would just tell us where where are Idris and, and Shayan now? How are they doing? Um, Idris and Shayan are doing well. Um, they had a... Uh, they spent the summer actually with us, um, uh, traveling with the film and really uh, being engaged with the discussions. And I think uh, they've been very, uh, they've thrived in that environment in terms of the Q&A and engaging adults and youth like them. And it's been really exciting to see. Uh, Idris just started his sophomore year at Occidental College in L.A. And uh, Shayon is starting his sophomore year at York College in New York, Queens. So, um, you know, and they're, they're, you know, happy guys that are still a work in progress. Um, uh, um, but um, we're very proud of them. And you can get more information about the film at AmericanPromise.org. Uh, the film is in theaters now. Am I right about that? I know it will be released in D.C. on November 1st, and, and I am planning to take my son and my husband and my daughter to see the the movie and we're very excited about it. Um well is it is it available now? Let me say a couple of things. One, uh the film doesn't start in theaters until August. Until October eighteenth in New York. And uh, mm-hmm. uh two weeks later it starts in Washington D C. Um well uh we'll be at the E Street Theater there. Uh, and so we look forward to meeting your audience. Both Michelle and I will be there. Uh, and so that, and we hope to be to speak personally with your with your audience. Uh, we also have a handle, which is at Promise Film. And so I've just broadcast 
my photograph on that. Tweeted up my photograph sitting in this coffee shop. So <laughs> if you go to Ed from this film, you'll see me, and I'm going to try to take up a, a photograph of Michelle who's sitting across uh, across the way. Uh, Ed from this film. Well, I want to thank you both so very much for being here. This is a fantastic conversation. I very much look forward to seeing the film. And thank you for your wonderful work over the past, over the, the 13 years that it took to put the film together. Thank you so much. Thank you. Oh, thank you. It was a pleasure. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. So you, the audience, are now officially certified know-it-alls about the American Promise documentary. Remember to follow Know It All, the ABCs of Education on Blog Talk Radio. Follow me at Allison R. Brown on Twitter. Find ABC on Facebook. And read my blog at allisonbrownconsulting.com. Thanks for listening. Have a wonderful week.